Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Well, I want to say it's a real delight for Linda and me to be back with you at C4, and uh, I guess uh, through the wonders of technology to be with those in North Durham today, it's a delight for us to get to be back. Uh, love coming to your church and have kind of stayed connected watching what God is doing here. Um, as was said, I am coming to you most recently. I pastored up in Ottawa with an AGC church called the MEP, but most recently I've been serving at Heritage College and Seminary. And this is kind of a big time of year for us. In fact, tonight our student leaders come in for a week of training, and then next week all the new recruits come in, and then the next week we launch. And uh, on the college, I should say, the, the students come, some of them come just for one year. We got like one year with them, and they're there for like a gap year just to get grounded in their faith, get ready for wherever God takes them. Others come for a full degree, whether it's in child and youth or music or missions or theology. So we got all those folks there. But let me just tell you, I'm kind of excited about this. We build our whole training at the college around five key themes like if you come to our college, we're going to nail you with these five things over and over. One is learn to know God. Lead yourself first. We think if you're going to be a leader, you've got to lead yourself first or you're dangerous leading others, right? And then love others well. And then lift up the church. We're trying to train men and women who are churchmen and churchwomen. They love the church. And then the final one is live on mission. And we have a village that we've adopted right near our school and we reach out to the folks there. So I'm quite excited. If you think of us, pray for us. If you'd like more information on the college, Linda and I will be back there. We also, by the way, have a seminary, graduate level, training men and women for ministry on the area of leadership. Uh, we've got classes. In fact, we have a Monday night class in Oshawa this year uh, on apologetics. So if you'd like to know about that, we can tell you we have full degree programs. Linda leads up the Heritage Center for Women in Ministry, and they got a two-day class in September in Cambridge that's going to be phenomenal with Dr. Margaret Kostenberger is coming up. So if you'd like to know more about that, we'll be at the table. So that's where we are there. But I'm here today because I get to continue in your C4 summer series on the parables of Jesus. So I went on your website to kind of see where you have been this summer. And I saw that you've covered a, a variety of these amazing stories, these parables of Jesus, the four soils, the good Samaritan, the prodigal son, the shrewd manager. And I started looking at all those things, and I thought, you know, what, what is so captivating about the parables? Why are we drawn to them? Well, on one level, we're drawn because they are stories with a spiritual point. They're not just a story. They're a story with a spiritual point. But what makes them so captivating, as you've already found out this summer, is that these parables both have a surprise factor and a squirm factor, like almost all the parables do. They have a surprise factor. They have something that kind of grabs you, takes your breath back a little bit. It's an unexpected punchline. So like, for example, you find out that the shrewd manager actually gets praised by his boss. And you find out that the prodigal son comes home and his dad welcomes him back, but not so much big brother. And, and you find out that, you know, as you look through these parables, the good guy in the story turns out to be one of those hated Samaritans. There's always this surprise factor. 
But what also makes them captivating is that they have what I call a squirm factor. They make you squirm. They make you a little uncomfortable. They force you to face something about yourself you didn't want to see. So you might find out as you go through these parables that, oh no, I'm a lot like that older brother in this story. Or maybe my heart's kind of like the rocky soil or the thorny soil. Or maybe I'm like the Levite or the priest who walked by the guy in the ditch and didn't help him until the Samaritan came. They, they cause us to squirm a bit, and they should. Well, today we're going to look at a parable that has both the surprise factor and I guarantee you it has some squirm factor in it. Today we're going to look at a parable that Jesus told about a problem that nobody thinks they have. Like, you know, if we said, here's a problem we're going to deal with, we'd all sit there and go, it's not my problem. Jesus thinks differently. Today we're going to look at a parable that talks about the problem of greed. Greed. And there's a surprise ending in it, and there's something that will make you squirm, but it will make you squirm to save you, to be a safeguard for your heart. Today, I want you and I to open up our hearts. I've been praying that my heart would be open to God, that your heart would be open to God, and that we would hear what Jesus has to say in this parable that goes straight for our hearts in an uncomfortable way. So, would you take a Bible and join me in this parable? It's found in Luke chapter 12. Today, I want to talk to you about, I've titled the message, Who Me? Greedy? Today we're going to find out if, if I'm the greedy guy, if you're the greedy woman, if you're the greedy man. Today we're going to let Jesus do some work on our hearts as he tells a story that we won't soon forget. I'm in Luke chapter 12. Today we're going to be in verses 13, primarily down to verse 21, but then we'll go a little further. But before we start, I know we've prayed today, but would you join me as I just pray for help for myself and for us as we hear God's Word together? Lord, I'm thankful to be here at C4, and I thank you that I'm among people that do love you and love your word. And I'm asking today that you would do something that is supernatural in our lives, and that you would open the eyes of our heart to see you and to see ourselves. I pray you would do that in a, in a very helpful way, for you are good, but do it in a very healing way. If you need to do some surgery in us, Lord, help us to be willing to let you operate so that you can heal us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We pick up the story, Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse 13. Look at it with me. It says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So we're kind of parachuting into a scene. Jesus is evidently teaching a whole group of people he was seen as a rabbi in his day by most of the people. They knew he was a teacher. They knew he, had, he could do miracles. They knew he was something special. People gathered around. And one day as he's there, some guy does a shout-out to him and asks for help. Teacher, he says, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Evidently, it was not uncommon for people in that day to go to a rabbi to say, could you help us solve some internal family disputes? Like, you're a teacher. You're a wise person. You're a sage. Help me out. Now, Jesus' response to this man who shouts out from the crowd is rather stunning, actually. Listen to it, verses 14 and 15. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, 
Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Now, I'm imagining that was not what the guy was hoping to hear. Would you, would you think that's fair? Like he's going, teacher, I got a problem. Could you help me get things right with my brother? He needs to divide the family inheritance. Jesus turns to him in verse 14 and kind of says, listen, who made me a judge between the two of you? Why are you asking me to be involved? And then in verse 15, Jesus widens his audience. He doesn't just talk to the guy. Look at verse 15. Then he said to them, them, the whole crowd. So now Jesus is addressing everybody. So in a sense, you're part of the crowd. I'm part of the crowd. We're going to hear what he says. And he says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in, the, in an abundance of possessions. Jesus is telling that man, but he's telling all the people, and he's telling all of us people, something we need to know. I'd put it this way. Jesus is giving a lesson that you and I cannot miss. He's saying this. We, all of us, we all need to guard against greed. He's starting to tell them, listen, we all need to guard against greed. You need to guard against greed. You need to guard against greed. I'm saying to my heart, I need to guard against greed. Jesus is telling the people we all need to guard against greed. He says that in verse 15. He says, watch out. Be on your guard. Now, as I said, I'm guessing this stung the guy who asked the question. Don't you think he felt a little bit embarrassed at this point? I mean, he's coming to Jesus. He thinks he has an inheritance problem. And Jesus turns around and says, no, actually, you have a greed problem. He's coming to Jesus saying, Jesus, I need to talk to you about my rights. Like, what is rightfully mine? I need to talk to you about my rights. And Jesus says to him, no, we need to talk about where you've gone wrong, how you've given way to greed. Now, if you're hearing that, you're thinking, wow, why did Jesus come down so hard on this guy? It doesn't se- seems like a rather reasonable request. He's only asking for what's fair. Why does Jesus go after him? And, and why does he talk about greed here? What does Jesus see as greed? What do we mean by greed? That's going to be a key thing today, just try to get clear on what do we mean by greed. If you're going to say, is this my problem, you've got to know what, the, what we're talking about. Well, I think at the end of verse 15, Jesus gives us a working definition of greed. So follow me on this part, because if you don't get this part, the rest of what's coming won't really make sense. You've got to get clear on what Jesus sees as greed. Look at the last line in verse 15. He says, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. In that phrase, I think Jesus highlights three elements that when you put these three elements together in the wrong way, you wind up with greed. So let me give you the three elements and talk to you about how you you can combine those in the wrong way. Three elements there in verse 15. The first one is what I would call satisfaction. I get that because Jesus says life does not consist. He's saying what makes life important, what makes life valuable, what life consists of, what makes life meaningful, what gives satisfaction to life. So his first part is he's going to talk about satisfaction, what you think life consists of. Okay, that's the first element. Just write satisfaction. Second element would be what we would say is surplus. Did you see that? This is another element of greed. Look at it. Life does not consist of a, in an abundance. Abundance. The word abundance means what? More than enough. It means like overflow. It means surplus. 
okay? So we got satisfaction, surplus. Third element is what I would call stuff, stuff, because that's the word possessions. Look at the end of it. Life does not consist in an abundance, a surplus of possessions, stuff, possessions. That's, uh, that's the iPhone in your pocket. That's the clothes in your closet. That's the car in your driveway. That's the money in your bank account. And Jesus is saying that somehow greed, we're supposed to watch out for greed, has something to do with satisfaction, surplus, and stuff. Now, you've got you to say, well, wait a second here. I didn't know that all those things were wrong, like satisfaction, surplus, and stuff. I didn't know all those things were evil. And I'd say, well, actually, they're not. The Bible says that all three of those things can be fine. They can be good. For example, satisfaction. In Psalm 90, verse 14, the psalmist, Moses, in this case, prays this, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love. Jesus said in John 10, I have come that they might have life and they might have it abundantly. So this idea of being satisfied, that's a biblical theme. How about the idea of surplus? Anything inherently wrong with surplus? Well, no. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17 says that God gives us all things richly to enjoy. Like He is good. He is He is magnanimous. He gives us more than just the the bare minimum. Often he overflows, so there can be surplus from God. What about stuff? Is that inherently wrong? Well, actually, a little bit later in verse 30, Jesus would go on to say, your Father in heaven knows that you need them, and them refers to food, clothing, shelter. So stuff is not inherently wrong. So wait a second, you're saying, well, then how is greed linked to satisfaction, surplus, and stuff if those are not inherently wrong? Here's what I think Jesus is saying. If you put those things together in the wrong way, with the wrong mentality, with the wrong thinking, you wind up with greed. Because greed is, here it is, a thinking that satisfaction in life comes through having a surplus of stuff. That's when it becomes greed. When I start to think, when I start to believe, when I start to pursue, and I have this mentality that says, you know what's going to give me satisfaction in life? Satisfaction in life, I start thinking, comes from having a surplus of stuff. And as soon as I start going down those trails, I'm headed towards greed. Satisfaction in life coming from a surplus of stuff? Jesus says, watch out for that. In fact, that's what he says in verse 15. Watch out. Be on your guard. And then he says in verse 15, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Evidently, greed comes in different kinds. It can come in different ways. For this man, it was trying to fight for his rights and his inheritance. But that's not the only way it comes. Whenever somebody starts to think that satisfaction in life is going to come through having a surplus of stuff, we're headed towards greed. Now, you may hear that and go, okay, well, I kind of get that. I kind of get that. But here's what I still don't get. Like, why does Jesus come down so hard on this guy? Like, he embarrassed him publicly. This guy is squirming. Everyone's looking at him. They have the hate on for that guy right now, right? And all he did was ask, like, for help. So why does Jesus come down so hard on this guy? And the answer is because he's good. 
and because he doesn't want this guy to be ruined by greed. And in Jesus' minds, greed is something to watch out for. In other words, Jesus is trying to spare this guy grief by talking to him about greed. In fact, Jesus goes on to tell a story that makes the point of why he's so concerned that we don't give way to greed. Let me get to the story. Here's the parable that Jesus tells. We're doing parables at C4 this summer. Here comes the parable. Look with me and listen in verses 16 to 21. Verse 16, so right after he says, watch out, be kind of all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possession. Verse 16 says, and he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Abundant harvest, surplus there, right? He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Here comes the surprise. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. That's the story. That shows you like how high the stakes are. In fact, I think that tells you why Jesus came down so hard on this guy, why Jesus is so insistent on this. I'd put it this way. We've already seen in the opening thing that we all, we all need to guard against greed. We all need to be on guard against greed. Now you say, well, why is that? Well, the story tells us why. I'd put it this way. The reason we all need to be on guard against greed is because this. Greed deceives. Greed leads to being deceived. The danger of greed is that it deceives us, it fools us, it makes us fools. Greed leads to being deceived. Jesus knows that, and he doesn't want this guy to be deceived. So he tells him a story, and it's a story of a certain man who got greedy and who ended up being deceived. What I want to do here for a moment is I want to walk you through that story a little more closely and show you three ways this guy got deceived. And I'm going to ask you to do something difficult. I'm going to ask you to do what I want to do with my heart, and that is to say, Lord, is any of this me? Like, is any of the things this guy was doing, this guy was thinking, is any of that kind of hitting close to home? Are you trying to say something to me this morning through this story? So you ask that question, I'll ask that question, but let me show you what was wrong with the guy in the story. Three, three ways he got deceived. The first way is this. How does greed lead us to be deceived? First way is this. Greed leads us to forget that relationships make life rich. Greed deceives us. It makes us forget something. It makes us forget that relationships make life rich. This guy, when he got really hooked on his stuff, a surplus of stuff, he forgot that relationships are really what makes your life rich. What's interesting in the story, there's only one guy in the story. Everything revolves around him. He, he's all into himself. It's interesting. Um, he, verse 17, he thinks to himself. Notice how many times the word himself shows up. It's like he's the, he's the center of his little world. Verse 17, he thought to himself. Look at verse 19, and I'll say to myself. So he's talking to himself. Look a little bit uh, later, and he says to himself in verse 
20, or let's see, yeah, verse 20. What will, then what will get what you have prepared for yourself? So he thinks about himself. He talks to himself. He prepares for himself. And what happens to this guy is as his wealth increases, his world contracts. And suddenly he becomes the epicenter of his own little world. He's thinking about himself. He's talking to himself. He's preparing for himself. There's no mention of anybody else in this story other than himself, himself, himself. And what greed leads us to be deceived about is we forget that what makes life rich is actually relationships. It's not the stuff, right? It's the relationships, and he forgot that. What happens to his possessions is they started to push out. They became the priority over people in his life. And that leads to some really terrible things when it comes to relationships. Listen to this proverb about it. I'm reading from Proverbs 28, verse 25. It says, the greedy stir up conflict. Listen to that. The greedy stir up conflict. What happens when we get greedy? We stir up conflict. Our relationships go sour. In fact, the poster boy for that is the guy who asked Jesus the question. The guy who asked the question in verse 13, hey, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Let me ask you a question. How close do you think he and his brother were at this moment? Think they were tight having lunch together? Hey, let's hang out together. I don't think so, right? It's like there is a rift. What caused the rift? It was the fight over the stuff. And greed can lead us to prioritize stuff over people. It's relationships that make life rich, not just human relationships. By the way, the deepest thing, what makes life rich is our relationship with God. In fact, verse 21, Jesus kind of talks about the real richness of knowing God. Verse 21, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. So what, is, what happens with greed makes us forget that relationships make us rich. Here's the second thing it does. Greed leads us to forget that goods are gifts from God. It, it leads us to forget something. We are not only forget about relationships, we forget the fact that all the goods we have, they're gifts from God. The story highlights that in verse 16. Look at verse 16. And he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. That's how it starts. The ground yielded an abundant harvest. So who made the ground yield an abundant harvest? Like, who gave the rain that watered the crops? Who caused the seeds to germinate? It, it wasn't the rich guy. It wasn't the guy who harvested it. It was God. And Jesus starts by saying, look, this guy in air, it's a blessing. The ground yields an abundant harvest. But this guy goes on to think it's all mine. He starts talking about my crops, my surplus grain. He, he's like, I'm owning this. We have an apple tree in our backyard we got one lonely apple tree, and we moved into this house a few years ago, and we thought, what's going to happen with this apple tree? We've never had an apple tree. Get this, last year, we had a bumper crop. There were apples everywhere. We made applesauce and apple pies and apple everything. So this year, I'm thinking, I can hardly wait for the apple tree again because, you know, last year, we really killed it with the apple stuff. This year, we're going to take it a step further. So I'm looking out at our apple tree, and we've got just a handful of sad-looking apples on it this year. We did nothing last year, and we got a bumper crop. We did nothing this year, and we got nothing. And what it reminds me is those weren't my apples. I didn't make anything grow. 
But this guy forgot that. He forgot that all the goods that he had were from God. James chapter 1 says this, every good gift, every perfect gift is from where? From above. Every good gift comes from above. So greed leads us to be deceived. We start thinking that, hey, the reason I got good stuff, the reason I'm at, because of what I did. But listen, who gave you the mental ability to do your job? Who gave you the opportunity that you have? Who, who provided you with all the, the health, all the things that you need to get where you are? Greed for, helps us forget that. So what does greed do? It deceives us. We forget that relationships make life rich. We forget that all goods are gifts from God, but here's the third one, and this is the most serious. Greed leads us to forget that life is on loan from God. Greed makes us forget that life is on loan from God. That happened to this dude. Look what happens to him. He says there in verse 19, I'll say to myself, you have plenty. You have plenty of grade laid up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. He's thinking, I, made, I got bigger barns, I got lots of grain, life is good. He's wearing the shirt, he's sitting out on his veranda, he's thinking, I got many years to enjoy this thing. What did he forget? His life was on loan from God. That's what happens in verse 20. This is the big surprise of the story, right? Verse 20, but God said to him, you fool, this very night, not 10 years from now, not 20 years from now, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. The Greek word that's translated demanded is, a, is an unusual word. It, it often is used in the context of calling in a loan. It's almost like Jesus is saying in this story, God says to this man, hey, you know, I've loaned you life. I'm calling in the loan tonight. Your life is demanded of you. Now, who's going to get all the stuff? Yesterday, I stood at a graveside of a, of a woman I deeply admire. In fact, our, our little world at the school has been rocked this week. A dear friend, one of my colleagues, lost a woman. And one week ago today, Sunday, she was living life and enjoying life. And had, the only medicine she took was a baby aspirin every once in a while. I mean, she was like the picture of health. And by Tuesday morning, she had had a massive heart attack and on Saturday, we're standing around her casket. See, greed makes us think that we are large and in charge, and we got things wired. We're setting it all up. We've got this planned. I'm set. I'm good. Uh, because if we start thinking that life consists of having a surplus of stuff, we forget that life is on loan from God. So you say, well, what do you do about this? Well, what do you do today if in any of those cases you've said, well, sometimes I do that. Like some of that is me. I'm squirming a bit. Sometimes I forget that it's relationships that make life rich. I'm, it's like I'm working like it's just about my paycheck. It's just about my stuff. Sometimes I forget that all the goods that I have are really gifts from God. I treat them like they're mine. They're entitled to me. Sometimes I forget that my life is on loan from God. I just kind of project out there. This is the way life's going to be. Sometimes I forget all that stuff. What do you do to guard yourself against greed? Well, that's where I want to finish. That's where I want to end because Jesus finishes there. He finishes there in verse 21, and then he goes on to expand on it in verses 22. Let me just touch on it, and this is where we'll wrap up today. See, the first thing we saw is that we all need to guard against greed, like all of us. 
Second thing we saw is that greed leads to being deceived. So you say, well, how do I get out of this? How do I I make sure this is not me? Well, that leads us to the third thing. I'd put it this way. We are freed from greed. We are freed from greed as we become rich towards God. You want to be freed from greed? Here's what you do. You go after riches. Wait a second, you said, I thought we're not supposed to go after riches. No, 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 you go after riches, but you go after being rich towards God. We are freed from greed as we become rich towards God. Jesus talks about that in verse 21. Do you see the contrast that he makes? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, that's one option, but is not rich towards God. That's the better option. We're freed from greed as we become rich towards God. You say, well, how do you become rich towards God? Well, I think Jesus goes on to explain that in the following verses. It's interesting. After this conversation, Jesus has a debrief with his disciples. After this, he has a follow-up with his followers. And in verses 22 down to 34, I think he tells them, how do you become rich towards God? Here's the solution. Listen to it as I read it. I'm going to pick it up in verse 22. You listen and listen for the clues. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Barns were big in the previous story. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Add an hour to your life. That kind of played into the previous story too, right? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. And do not set your heart, set your heart, that's pursuing it. Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out and a treasure in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your what? There your heart will be also. In those verses, Jesus talks to his followers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, he's talking to you. And he's saying, you want to steer clear of greed? You want to be rich towards God? I think he highlights many things. Let me give you three that come out of those last verses. Three things on how you and I can become rich towards God. First thing that he highlights, and it's really a theme of that whole section, is this. Trust God for what you need. Like you're tempted to be greedy, you're tempted to run after thinking you got to get it. He's saying trust God for what you need. Did you notice how often in that passage I read he says don't worry? Three different times. Don't worry about your clothes. Don't worry about your food. Don't worry about this. Don't worry, he says. Don't worry. You say, well, is worry linked to greed? Because he first said, don't be greedy. Now he's saying, don't worry. Are those two things related at all? And I'd say, I think there is a link, right? Because if I'm greedy or if I'm worrying about my stuff, in either way, I'm focused on what? Focused on my stuff. 
And Jesus is saying that's not what life consists of. So don't put all your energies there. Don't worry about that. I read you a proverb a little bit earlier, Proverbs 28, 25. I only read the first half. Listen to the whole thing. The greedy stir up conflict, but those who trust in the Lord will prosper. The contrast in that proverb is being greedy or trusting in the Lord. So you and I trust in the Lord for what you need. The Lord knows you have needs. In fact, verse 30 of our passage, Jesus says, your Father in heaven knows you need these things. God's good. He knows you need food. He knows you need clothes. He knows, you, he knows what your needs are. So talk to him about your needs, but trust him. You want to be rich for God? You trust him for what you need. Second thing Jesus says to do, you want to be rich towards God? Not only trust God for what you need, but secondly, give generously of what you have. You want, to, you want to defeat greed? Give generously of what you have. Did you see that? Look at verse 33. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Jesus just says that. Sell your possessions, give to the poor. Now, he clearly doesn't mean sell all of your possessions and give to the poor because he, he just said your father knows you need some things. So what he's saying there is, listen, listen, be generous. Take some of what God has given you and give it to somebody who needs it more. Find someone who get, who, who's, who's impoverished physically, spiritually, and give to them. It's interesting. God knows this, that giving, generous giving, disinfects our hearts. Like it neutralizes the greed, the acidic greed that eats away in us. There's something about giving, Jesus is saying, that's going to help you safeguard yourself against greed. When God gives you a bumper crop, that's a beautiful thing. But if you want to make sure that bumper crop doesn't mess with you, he's saying, make sure you're given some. Now, this is the part where I get personally convicted living in North America. I was doing some looking even recently. And this is, my brothers and sisters, this is, this is the part where we should squirm as people. Do you know that uh, they've done ch charitable giving stats on North American Christians? And you know what they found? two things that sober me. First of all, most North American Christians, that's us, give somewhere between 2 and 4% of their income, 2 and 4%. Now, we know from the Old Testament that the Jews were mandated to give at least what? How much percent? 10, right? That, that, was, that, that was a tithe. In fact, you could argue, biblically speaking, that there was double tithes some years, but it was, everyone agrees, there was like a 10% baseline. You come to the New Testament, and I don't think you find the same requirement written in stone in the same way, the tithing requirement. But that doesn't let me off the hook because the New Testament and the New Covenant consistently raises the bar on the Old Covenant. The blessings are better and the expectations are higher. So if in the Old Covenant they were expected to do 10%, you come to the New Covenant, it's hard for me to somehow come up with the fact that I'm going to do less than that. But then I look at us in North America, and we're between 2 and 4% generally. But here's the second statistic that came out of these things that really slaughtered me. The more our income increases, the more our giving tends to decrease. Now, that's like counterintuitive, right? On the stats that they found from 2015, those who made more than $10 million a year, 
So that's like, let's all raise our hand if you're in that category, right? So if you made more than $10 million a year, you tended to give 6% of your income. You're winning the, the race in giving. So all of you who are over $10 million, you're, you're doing better than most of us. But here's the sad thing. When you look at the rest of us, if you're about the forty dollars or $50,000 a year, you give about 4%, but then when that climbs to seventy-five dollars and $100,000 a year, it drops to like 2%. So what it's saying is this. Some of us are getting a little bit more bigger barns, and we're thinking like this guy's thinking. We're thinking, this must mean I got more for myself. And Jesus is saying, look, this is dangerous stuff here. God gives blessing, but don't let the blessing bruise you. Here's one thing you can do. Give. Give some. So my challenge to me, my challenge to you as brothers and sisters is this. What is God saying to you about what you're doing? Are you going to give way to greed in any way, or are you going to just be a giver so that you can find ways to say, I don't want my heart tainted with this. I want, to, I want to be rich towards God. How do you do that? Well, you trust him for what you need. You give generously of what you have. And here's the last thing he says. It comes out of verses 33 and 34. You save up for what lasts forever. You save up for what lasts forever. Look at verse 33. Sell your positions. Give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves. Like this is going to help you that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. He's saying this. It's not wrong to save up. In fact, Proverbs tells us it's wise to save up some on earth. But Jesus is saying it's even wiser to make sure you're saving up some in heaven. And the way you do that is you invest in his kingdom. You invest in things that matter to him. You say, I'm, I'm going to show that I'm not just living for a bigger barn on earth. I'm living, for, I'm living for forever. And I'm putting my treasure there because I want my heart to be there. I mentioned this lady that died this week. We stood around her coffin yesterday, and then we went to the memorial service, and it was packed I don't know how many people, hundreds and hundreds, maybe, I don't know, five, six, seven hundred people. And the stories came out again and again, and I knew some of them, but I didn't even know all of them. Here was a lady who, she and her husband owned a business that God had prospered, like prospered big time. And they decided that God was prospering them so that they could be a blessing to others. So what she did is she, they set up a foundation. They, they took some of their own money that they could have given to themselves and others. They put it, and they started giving it away. And they supported orphans in Zambia. One of them flew over for the funeral, the lady that heads that up. And with tears just said, you've saved my life. You've saved so many lives. They invested in helping, helping people get their education. They helped it in. They, there's a host of Christian agencies, and you know what? You would never know it. You would never know. They were the least, you know, they didn't walk around looking large and in charge. They were just these ordinary people who God had blessed abundantly, and they said, we're going to give it away. Now, they had a, a nice life. God blessed them, and they enjoyed their home and their family, but they kept looking ahead. And I couldn't help but think yesterday as we sat, we're still all shocked that God has called her home. But there's a verse in 2 Peter that says, if you're living for Christ, you will receive a warm welcome into heaven. And though we were grieving yesterday on earth, I just, I, my mind's eye would run up and I thought, man, I, I wonder what it feels like to be her stepping into eternity and having orphans 
from Africa run up to meet her and say, thank you. Having other people whose lives had been touched by, because she was rich in the things that mattered to God. Were they wealthy on earth? Yes. But did they decide to say some of that wealth needs to go for others? Yes, they did. And I was inspired, I think many were others, to say, I want to be rich towards God. See, brothers and sisters, Jesus doesn't want us to get fooled by greed. So he tells us to pursue riches towards God. I want to close with a warning and a blessing as we wrap this thing up. Here's the warning. Don't be a fool. That's the word Jesus used, right? In verse 20, he says to this guy, you fool. Now, now that's a harsh word in the scripture. In fact, we're not, we're told you don't go around calling people fools. But God who saw this guy, who seems to be large and in charge, looks at him and says, you're a fool, and it's too late to change it. Your life is demanded of you tonight. And what I'm saying is right now, it seems it's not too late for any of us here. God could demand my life today. He could demand your life today, but he could give us an extension. He could give us more. And he's saying, don't be a fool. Don't spend your life thinking that satisfaction comes from a surplus of stuff. It doesn't. It comes from relationships with God first and with others. And pursue that. God knows you have needs. He will take care of you. Trust in him. But make sure you're investing what he gives you generously into his work. Lay up treasures from heaven because there will come a day when the person in the box is you and is me. And it will be too late. So the warning is this. Don't be a fool. Be on your guard, Jesus says. But the blessing that I want to end with is this. The story was about an inheritance, right? The guy starts up and he goes, Jesus, could you tell my brother to give me part of the inheritance? He's fighting for an inheritance. And Jesus says, you don't have to fight for it. God wants to give it to you. Listen to this in verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Like, God is so good. He's saying to you, listen, listen, listen. I want to give you the kingdom. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it, but I want to give it to you. And the blessing that I have for you and for all of us today is this. God wants to give you himself and his kingdom if you'll really prize riches with him. See, if you're here today, the best thing you could do is to say to God, if you've never done this, just say, God, I want to get in on your kingdom. I need you to forgive my sins. I've been a greedy person. I've done a whole bunch of other things too. And I want the blood of Christ to forgive my sins. If you would give me a part of your kingdom, I want to be in. He wants to give that to you. And if you've trusted Christ already, then he wants you to prize that and live for that and delight in that. So let's do this. The worship team... Nikki and the team are going to come, and they're going to lead us in a final song. But as they come, would you just take a moment and shut out the rest of the world? Would you just bow your head and your heart and do some processing with God right now? What is he saying to you? Do you need to come to know Christ to be part of his kingdom? Do you need to say, I've been pursuing all the wrong things, Jesus. I need you then invite him to forgive you of your sins and ask him to give you the life, the real life. And then if you're here and you'd say, I've been fooled. To some degree, I've been fooled. I'm thinking I'm going after the wrong stuff. Then let God in his goodness 
correct your heart and redirect it in the right ways. Let's, let's, all, let's all talk to him privately, and then the band will lead us as we finally sing our, our closing song. Let's pray. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.